Well, there are lots of uh, significant uh, decisions made uh, around the world in various sporting codes, uh, but I think the one made by FINA recently in relation to transgender athletes will, in the fullness of time, be seen to be one of the most significant decisions made this century. Um, so to unpack the decision and the questions arising from it, we have our resident sports lawyer who also has a very close connection with swimming um, and swimmers and uh, has dealt with FINA on many occasions is uh, Tim Fowler. Uh, morning, Tim. Morning, Andrew and Paul. Oh, um, just uh, for those listeners who might not be aware of the full ramifications of the decision, just uh, the circumstances surrounding the decision uh, in the recent meeting and what the decision was. Yeah, well, Andrew, FINA basically made a call to effectively ban trans um, athletes from competing in women's events at the elite level. It must be it must be noted, not at uh, necessarily grassroots level, even like national level, um, but definitely at the elite level. And look, it's really based on the the um, the athlete Leah Thomas and others before her, but she's the first openly trans woman um, you know athlete to compete in the states and compete at a high level. And she's expressed desire to compete at the elite level. So. What's happened from that? You know, FINA, as the, um, as the governing body of swimming around the world, the International Federation, have got their member associations together and have put a vote to them as to whether they will allow trans athletes like Thomas to compete at the elite level, and uh, the answer is, is no. And uh, just as a matter of interest, I mean, it wasn't just the FINA sort of representatives uh, sort of mulling over it, uh, around a table. They had some fairly high-powered uh, sort of evidence put before them by uh, doctors and uh, legal people and human rights people. It was it was quite a process. Look, definitely it was a sort of a medical, legal, sport process. Like they had assembled a task force and they'd spent a lot of time on you know, deciding um, this particular policy. And they've looked at like what's happened in the past. They've even looked at things like the IAC guidelines that were only put out last year, which were really based around inclusion, inclusion of athletes. This is actually, this actual policy is very, it can be contrasted against the IAC framework. The IAC, you know, really put it into the hands of each sport as to how they would decide uh, their policy around trans athletes. And the IFC policy is really about inclusion of all athletes. Well, FINA have gone the opposite way. They've really made a decision that there's, you know, there's no real compromise here. They said that basically, you know, um, we've got a decision as to whether, you know, trans athletes are allow allowed to compete against women um, or, you know, <clears throat> are we going to try and protect the integrity of our women's sport and, and, and ban trans athletes, and, and that's what they've done. But, but at the same time, they've still created an um, opportunity for them to compete, and that is through the development of a new category, which is going to be you know, the open category. And, and you, know, you often hear this, um, this argument, oh, look, there's only a small percentage of athletes that compete as trans athletes. But, look, I think it's a, it's a good decision um, because we don't want to exclude people from sport. But, you know, the reality is that there's around about 80 different versions of genders, and some of these have been, you know, taught in schools, and in the UK in particular, they're, they're taught in a larger scale, 80 different versions of gender. I mean, is sport able to cater for all of those different categories in different competitions? Of course not. So the open category would allow anybody that has some um, gender diversity to be able to compete 
at that in that competition, but they can't compete against the women. It's starting to become very confusing, Tim. So the the yeah. open category, FINA has said that will be in place at elite level. Now, that's at world titles. Surely it's a different uh, uh, a different decision when it gets to the Olympic Games. Um, possibly, possibly not, Paul. Like, I mean, in the end, um, at the elite level, that you would suggest that that would be the same, um, you know, for the Olympics. But what's going to be? But, but you raise a really good point about the confusion and the complexity of it all. Um, you know, take our country. Uh, so, we in Australia supported this policy, a policy that's aimed at the elite level. But what are they going to do back here in Australia when it comes to you know competition, for example, at state? You know, um, you know, within schools. I mean, this is where it gets really confusing. So if you look at, like, Leah Thomas in the States, she's still going to be able to compete at NCAA um, Division One level. Um, you know, she's still going to be able to compete and, and possibly win at that level, as she has done. And, and that's where, you know, a lot of this controversy has arisen from. Like, you know, the female athletes that compete against her have said that she has an unfair advantage. And that's one thing that we should always, you know, Remember here that you know science has played a huge part in this because previously it was all about testosterone. You know we know about the famous athletes like Carson Semenya and others who have had to go through testing around you know their testosterone levels. Well, that's something the IFC said we're not going to do anymore. No more testosterone testing. Um, but the, the argument here is that that trans athletes, despite what they do, they do have, if you like. You know, an advantage, and it's um, it's 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 basically described as a scientist as a retained advantage. When you go through puberty, like as a male, you will have um, increased bone development, muscular development, increased lung capacity development, heart, and so forth. And even if you go through a transition process later on in life, um, the scientists argue that that retained advantage remains with you. Your feet aren't going to shrink just because you go through a testosterone type program. So that's a big factor, you know, in this particular policy. You know, I, I spoke to, to, to James Clark, our producer, this morning about this before we went on air, and it was about what, what Caitlin Jenner said about uh, a, uh, if you go through male puberty, you should not be able to take medals from, from females full stop. And I spoke about my three children. I've got a son and two daughters. The daughters are both 165 centimetres and weigh about 52 kilos. This is all from the, the, the same genes, yet my son is 188 centimetres and 106 kilos. So if he were to go through the gender reassignment, he's going to have a massive advantage over the, his sisters, isn't he? Uh, Paul, that's a great example because regardless of any type of testosterone-lowering um, program, and that's through drugs, and that goes against clean sport, doesn't it, that we make athletes you know, go through a process like that, your son will retain all of those physical attributes that he has um, you know, developed through growth and through puberty um, and no amount of you know, testosterone lowering or you know, anything like that is going to take away those physical attributes that he's developed. Uh, Tim, I mean, obviously it's a really emotive issue as we discussed earlier and there are uh, a lot of people on the other side of the argument to the one that FINA has and they're pretty well-heeled organisations as well. If there was to be some challenge to this decision, where is it made? Oh, that's a great question, Andrew. Look, I, look, I think there will be challenges, undoubtedly. And I, and I say challenges, not just one or two, but there'll be 
numerous challenges. Look, they could challenge to the Court of Arbitration for Sport. One of the things about this policy is that FIDA, uh, the CEO, has acknowledged that, that it is discriminatory, that there are discriminatory elements of this policy. But, you know, we talked before about, or mentioned before about the Casa Semenya um, case. You know, ultimately, when that was decided in Cass and then it was appealed um, in the Swiss Federal Tribunal, effectively the Swiss Supreme Court, the discriminatory elements of that decision um, were balanced up against the necessary and, and reasonable um, policy that was being, that was put in place at the time by the IAAF, so World Athletics Now. And World mm. Athletics are considering their own policy along the lines of what FINA have done. And I would suggest, you know, gazing into the crystal ball, that despite, you know, discriminatory elements of this policy, um, it would probably be decided along similar guidelines to the Semenya case. And this policy probably will be successful and upheld against any legal challenges. Tim, I mean, I know you've had dealings with uh, FINA before and uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but uh, my recollection was you weren't uh, sort of overly impressed with a lot of what they do. I mean, does, does it surprise you they've got their act together and made this decision and been the first sport to do it? I am. <laughs> Andrew, in, in simple, in simple, a simple answer, yes. I mean, like, um, gee, they've been proactive. They've, they've been gutsy. Um, yeah. I think, I think actually that's a lot to do with the new leadership. So the new leadership, uh, Brent Nowicki came from the Court of Arbitration for Sports. So he's had the benefit of lots and lots of, um, involvement with like leading decisions, mm. um, including the Semenya one, to be quite honest. And so I think really he's, he should be applauded for, um, you know, playing a very significant role in, in this, um, this new policy. Mm. Timmy, I, I just think this open category is going to cause more issues down the track because I think there'll be problems about, hang on, yes, uh, uh, I'm transgender, but then there'll be someone else saying, oh, no, I come from this category. I, I uh, identify as something different. So I think this is just going to keep going on and on. Well, it's a really good point, Paul, because, you know, Effectively, this policy is not actually banning, you know, trans women athletes from competing, um, you know, in women's events. They just have to make, they just have to, um, there's just certain criteria applied to it. So, for example, um, you know, this is a horrible thing to sort of think about, but if a, a 10-year-old, for example, if a 10-year-old child wants to go through, um, you know, gender reassignment mm. surgery, okay, prior to reaching puberty and the age of 12, okay, whichever comes latter, um, then effectively that athlete, that person would be able to compete, you know, in a women's event. Um, later, if someone's to decide to, to transition, then they'll be banned. So you're right, like it's going to open up a real Pandora's box. But I, look, I, look, I don't think there's any uh, easy solution in this area. Like the society we live in, you know, in, in many ways, I was about to say, unfortunately, but I, but I won't, but the society we live in, is there's, there's gender... Um, fluidity, um, you know, it's not an easy thing for, for schools, for sports, for all of our sort of institutions, but you're right, it's not going to be the end of this um, of this story for sure. Timmy, always a, a pleasure to chat to you. Uh, you have so much to, to discuss. And we haven't heard the, uh, the end of this. Appreciate your time this morning. We'll catch up again soon. Yeah, no worries, boys. Okay, see ya.